0: Well, good morning again, Rock Hill, friends and family. Thank you for uh, being with us this morning. Uh, Matthew 19 is where we'll be. We're actually taking a turn in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, it's a very long turn, but it's a turn nonetheless. And I love walking through uh, verses of the Bible or book by book through a a Bible because you're going to be confronted with things that you may not want to necessarily talk about. As a church family, but you're going to talk about as a church family. And the last few weeks, uh, Jesus has been tough, but he's been really tender. He's been firm, uh, but he's also been really understanding and trying to help us realize the importance of these different uh, realities and topics. And last week was about uh, the rich young ruler uh, who was confronted with the fact that he could not do anything to earn heaven or earn salvation. And when Jesus told him, well, for him, what is his treasure was that his were his possessions, he walked away grieving. And Jesus is, is just a good reminder to us. That we should be able to have hard conversations in the Bible. And and listen, we're going to be walking through uh, the Gospel of Matthew for much of the year. In fact, Easter will not be a traditional Easter message. It's going to be in the Gospel of Matthew at a particular place that we find ourselves in the text. And so, yes, Easter is upon us. I mean, Wednesday is March. I mean, we're flying through 2023. And that could be good for some of you, and some of you don't like that. But here we are. But Jesus has a boldness about him. And with our last sermon in this little mini-series, we're going to be in verse 23 of chapter 19. So if you're there, will you say word? Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were utterly "'Astonished, and asked, then, who can be saved? "'Jesus looked at them and said, "'With man this is impossible, "'but with God all things are possible. "'Then Peter responded to him and said, "'See, we've left everything and followed you, "'so what will there be for us?' "'Jesus said to them, "'Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, "'when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, "'you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, "'judging the twelve tribes of Israel.' And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now you need to know that Jesus, uh, Jesus today is not after your money. Like, I need you just to sigh a little bit of a relief. Jesus isn't after your money. Rock Hill's not after your money. Jesus is after your heart. We as a church at Rock Hill, we are after your heart. Sometimes sermons will be preached and people will come up and say, well, you really stepped on my toes. And I would say that my aim is off. My aim isn't for your toes. My aim is for your heart. And The reason for that and the reason why Jesus talks about money in this moment is because Money is often the bubble that we put over our hearts from him having access. We, we, we think we control money, and so we want to have access to that. And what we'll do is we'll often treat it like uh, some of us do with a, a split bank account. And I'm, I'm not giving a financial recommendation to you for your family on how you want to do your family finances, but some, you know, in some marriages, like we have our own bank accounts, and so I'll give a little bit here, and you give a little bit here, and then we can do whatever we want to with the rest, and that's fine if that works for you. But when it comes to God, that's not how we should treat our money. Like we'll say, well, here's my side of the account, and then I'll give you what you're owed, and then we'll just kind of do whatever we want. But in reality, all of all of what we have is to be unto the Lord, and so we have a warning here from Jesus. We have a warning from Jesus, and it can be seen as a hard word. I mean, he says very clearly in verse 24. It's, I'm sorry, 23. That's my, it's hard. So I'm not just making, well, it's a hard word. Yeah, it's hard for a rich person to enter in the kingdom of heaven. Now, mind you, he's just talked with the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler thought he could do something to, eat, to earn eternal life. He thought there was something on the list of things to do that he could do so that he could have life eternally. And Jesus looks at him and says, there's literally nothing you can do. But for you, your possessions are what your treasure is. And Jesus is always after the heart. And so he tells this rich young ruler, he says, you need to sell all that you have. And then you can come and follow me. And the young man walked away grieving because he had many possessions. His possessions possessed him. His possessions possessed him. And so Jesus says, whatever it is, and for you, it may not be possessions. It might be something else. He says, whatever that is, you've got to rid yourself of the love of that so that you can follow me. It's why it's often misquoted, but people will say, well, money is the root of all kinds of evil. No, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. When you've given your heart and affection to your possessions or to money, it leads into all kinds of dangerous places. It's why over and over and over the Bible will warn us about the love of our stuff. And so we have this warning here from Jesus. He just makes it really clear. He says, it's really hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the danger here is to think that I don't want any money. Because then only if, you, if you're poor, then you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. If, if it's hard for the rich man, then it must be really easy for the poor person to get in heaven. No, no. He's, he's not talking about how much you have, he's talking about the focus of your attention and affection you have. Because your money is meaningful. Like, like all that you have, God has given to you, and it's for a purpose, but it's a terrible, money is a terrible meaning maker. Your money is meaningful, but it's a terrible meaning maker. If you're finding your basis of your identity and your security in what you have, Jesus is making it clear that it's gonna be hard for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I think about Benjamin Franklin, and Benjamin Franklin is um, a man of many talents, but he said this about money, He said, money never made a man happy yet, nor will it ever. There is nothing in its nature to produce happiness. The more man has, the more he wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes one. I think it's ironic that he's on the $100 bill. And P. Diddy told us it's all about the Benjamins. First service had no idea what I was talking about. (laughs) I mean, they said, huh? I said, maybe you'll know about it. It's all about, I think it works as providential. This is my opinion. I have no historical data on this, on why Benjamin's on the $100 bill. It's just to serve to you and to me as a reminder. It's a vacuum. It won't make you happy. It won't satisfy your longings. And yet we'll make our pursuit about all those things, thinking that on some level they'll bring a comfort to us, thinking that it will satisfy that hole that is in our soul for identity and meaning, a wonderful, your money is very much meaningful, but it's a terrible meaning maker. We've all been there, haven't we? Where we've thought that that thing would actually satisfy us, but in the end, it just ends up in ruin. I mean, just think if you've ever worn or bought a brand new white shirt, and then you go to lunch that day, and you're having spaghetti. And all of a sudden, you're wearing that which you've eaten as well. Maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. But you love that shirt or you love that item, and then all of a sudden it just ends up as a vacuum. You think this thing will satisfy, but it just never does. This is what Jesus is getting at when he's saying, Hey, it's really hard. It's really hard for a rich person to enter in. Part of it is because the Jews believed that the rich were blessed by God. They thought if you were rich, it was evident that you were favored by God. And so if, if they're now sitting here saying that the, it's hard for the rich to enter, to enter into the kingdom of heaven, then what's that mean for the rest of us? So Jesus gives an illustration. Look at verse 24. He says, and I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, there's lots of opinions this is this this moment this verse in scripture is is similar to a, a business baptist business meeting where you've got 10 people and 12 opinions there's all kinds of opinions as to what this means and 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 just some of the more popular ones were that this was a not supposed to be a camel but a rope that you can't fit a rope through the eye of the needle. Look how hard that is, but if you got a bigger eye then you can get it through. Or some thought it was a literal camel that, that there was a, a gate called the eye of the camel or the eye of the needle and, and if you unloaded all the stuff from the camel, so if you unload all the stuff from your life and then over time you could nudge your way through with some help, I mean that's, that was some ideas that were presented. The problem is that there's, there's no gate archeologically that they've ever found. And if it was that you could unload everything, you could eventually fit through the eye of the needle, then this would be exactly what the rich young man wanted to hear. Because he could do something to inherit. The point that Jesus is making is the lunacy of the illustration. A camel is awkward, and if you've ever ridden one, it's awkward, it's just weird. There's nothing comfortable about it. And you think, oh, that'll be fun. It's not fun. But The lunacy of the illustration is the audacity that somebody could do something to inherit it. So Jesus is saying, This is virtually impossible. This is the warning he's giving. But why does he give this warning? Why is there a warning here for this? I think there's two reasons why there's a warning. Because our riches can often give us the wrong safety net. Our riches can give us the wrong safety net. I think that's why it's hard for the rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. If, if you have all of your needs taken care of by your own resources, then you're likely not to see the Lord as a need. If you're able to supply all of your needs according to your riches and glory, then you won't ever look to the Lord for a need. And we think if I just have more, my stress will go down. But the reality is the more you have, the more stress you have. But you end up having the wrong safety net. I mean, I just reflect back on my own, and I'm limited to my own experience. But I reflect back to when Abby and I first got married, and we lived in seminary housing at Southwestern Theological Seminary. And we, we didn't have much. And we had a lot, but we didn't have much I mean, I had to borrow my parents' Lincoln town car that had no shocks, and it would just do this every time you went over a speed bump. It had an alarm system, a Viper alarm system that would just randomly go off. We, we were borrowing things. We were depending on the Lord for our needs. We, I, was, I was working two to three jobs. I mean, it was not a fun season, but I do remember us relying on the Lord, saying, Lord, we We're relying on you for the next two weeks. And now at this stage of life, there's less of that dependence on the Lord. And sometimes we develop this wrong safety net. And part of that wrong safety net is that we think we can control the future with our own finances. That's not to say that you shouldn't have a plan. You should have a plan. It's not to say that you shouldn't leave an inheritance, It's a blessing, but, but there's a part of me that wants to be like John Wesley who, who died with nothing because he just gave it all away. There's no longer a fight for the family because you just were generous with what you had. But it gives you the wrong safety net is what finances do. But you need to realize that every possession you have is because of God's provision, See, what happens is, is that we have a, a wandering eyes as well. Not only do we have a, the wrong safety net, but our eyes begin to wander to our possessions, to our things. We begin to obsess over them or, or think too much of them, our stocks or our bank account or the 401B or whatever the, that, that is for you. It's just where you focus all of your attention on. This happens whenever we Purchase a new vehicle. Uh, and I'm talking about, I've only experienced a brand, like brand, brand new vehicle through other people, and I always love to celebrate that. It's awesome. It's not a bad thing. I'm not cracking on that today. I'm just, but there's a different mentality when you get a brand new car. Like, you, we can't eat in here anymore. Like with the previous car, yeah, we ate. We left fries underneath. And then six months later, you find them, and they look exactly the same. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, I wonder if it tastes good. No, don't do that. We'll wonder what that smell is in our current car, and then you find it's a, a cup of milk. And you think, I can't remember when we had a cup of milk, right? Who, who did this? It's always the youngest. But then you get a new car, or a, a new-to-you car, and you're just like, mm-hmm, mm you you got to get hosed down and dried off before you get into this thing, right? Don't walk through wet grass and then get in my car, right? There's a different mentality. But our wandering eyes, when we focus our life on our possessions, it becomes the thing, right? It can actually become a hurdle to your walk with the Lord. That's not to say you can't have new things or keep things. I'm not saying that. Don't, don't take that. I'm just saying our eyes, our eyes begin to wander. It's like the notorious B.I.G. More money, more problems, right? See, y'all knew, few, less of you knew that one. I mean. But when you realize that God is the source of all of what you have and your provision is, your possessions are because of his provision, it really changes your outlook on your riches. Jesus gives this illustration, this warning of the extreme impossibility of of those to enter in. And so then it begins to build up a a wonder within the disciples. Look at what they say in verse 25. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go back one on here, Matthew 13, because this is important when it comes to the warning. Jesus will say that when these seeds are sown. They hear the word, but the worries of this age and then the deceitfulness of wealth, they actually choke out the word. You Remember the soils? All these seeds are sown and then in this one where it's choked out, it's because of the the worries of this world. Some of us are so consumed with worry about what we have. And then the deceitfulness of wealth, we talked about this last week, the deceitfulness is, is simply that we think that those things will actually bring us security, you want influence, have wealth. If you want power, have wealth. If you want to have a say, have wealth. And we put our stock into those things. And what Jesus says in Matthew 13 is that it'll actually choke out the good seed that's been planted into you. And so this makes the disciples wonder. Look at what happens in verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were utterly astonished, that's key for us, and asked, then who can be saved? Again, in the Jewish mindset, if you had wealth, it meant that you were close to God. It meant that you were favored by God. God's not against rich people. If he was then Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon, Joseph of Arathomia, these individuals would be out of the kingdom. God's not against wealth. God's not against you having wealth. God's not even against you pursuing wealth. However, if you're deceived by it, it will choke out that which has been planted into you. If you think your security and your hope comes in your wealth, you'll be like the disciples here who go. Then who else? If the wealthy can't get it, then then what are we? What are our chances? And Jesus says in the next verse, in verse twenty six, he says, "With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible." Now we have historically used this verse out of context, like in junior high. You want to ask this girl out, and you go, "Well." With With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Or we'll use it in a sporting context. We're going to win state. With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. That's really not the context of what's being done here. The context is it's impossible for the rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but it is, with God, it is possible. I've sat in many a home group where prayer concerns are expressed. Hey, pray for, pray for me my, you know, my, my pride, or maybe pray for me, my, my lust, or or pray for me, my just my stubbornness is just really eating our family alive. I've I've seen those kinds of prayer requests come, but but rarely have I seen the prayer requests come in of Hey, pray for my heart to not fall in love with money. I don't want to be a camel. The disciples are utterly astonished. They're in wonderment going, I, how is this even possible? See, with, with man, it's impossible for a prideful person to become humble, but with God, it is possible to become humble. With man, it's impossible to, to rid yourself of the, the of lust and, and the flesh, but... But with God, it is possible to deny yourself those fleeting pleasures. With man, it's impossible to, to go from being rich in, the, in, in, in things to becoming rich in the Lord. But with God, it is possible to become rich in the Lord. With man, it, it's impossible for us to see our church as just how many can we... Fit in our seating capacity, but with God it is possible for us to not just think about our seating capacity, but to think about our sending capacity. Who can we send? Who can we go share the gospel with? Who can we reach out to? It is possible with God. Disciples are struck with wonderment, saying, This is what is gonna happen? How can this work? How can this how can this come about? And so Jesus gives an answer in verses 27 through 30 about the way, the way in which this can happen. Look at verse 27. Peter responds, I'm so thankful for Peter. See, we've left everything and followed you, so, so what will there be for us? Peter is essentially saying to Jesus, I'll try to translate it to our terms, Jesus, we've been tithing. What's in it for us? I mean, we're totally not like that rich young ruler who walked away grieving because he had many possessions. If this is possible with you, look, look, Lord, we've left everything. Like we're giving our all. What do we get out of it? That's sometimes our question, isn't it? What's in this for us? What do we get out of this investment? What do we get out of our money? Where's our money going? How, how, what do we get, Lord? And so Jesus responds to him in verse 28. He, he tells them, the renewal of all things. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes. He's talking to the apostles here specifically about what will happen at the end of all things. Verse 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or uh, father or mother or children or, or fields because of my name, Will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. Now, you might read this and go, So I'm gonna have a hundred times more brothers and sisters, please. I don't want any more. But the key here is not that, the key is what you've left because of his name. Like you can be completely generous, but it be done in the wrong spirit. You can give tons of money, but it be done selfishly. It be done so that you can be seen so that your name can be on that building. And I'm not against those things, necessarily. I am, though, against the spirit of those things if you think those things earn you credit with God. Instead, he's saying to us, hey, when you give up of these things because of the name of Christ, you'll have your reward. And it will far outweigh all of the rewards here on this earth. Our problem is our perspective. We treat rewards like that cup of yogurt that's sitting outside of the refrigerator at the grocery store. It won't last long. But heaven is like an endless bounty of rewards that he's going to give to us. It will not expire. There is no expiration date. There's no running out of it. The rewards in heaven far outweigh the rewards here on this earth. And God, by his grace, he says, whatever you've given up for my name Oh, what would happen if a room like this was filled with spirit-filled men and spirit-filled women who said, "I, Lord, I'm willing to give up whatever you ask of me for your namesake. Even if nobody sends me a card of thanks, nobody, even if nobody says thank you or recognizes my big gift, they, we just are going to give it to you, Lord, and let you sort it out to say it's for your name and not my name. It's for your glory, not my glory. It's for your renown, not my renown. Lord, it's just your what would happen? What would happen in a church and in a community, spirit-filled, that says, it's not mine, it's yours. Whatever I have is yours, Lord. I give it to you. He says, you'll have a 100 times more than you could ever possibly imagine. You'll inherit that. We've all seen families at the end of the, of the days of a loved one, maybe a grandfather or grandmother or mother or father, and one of the siblings walks up when they die and says, well, what's, where's my inheritance? Where's it at? And it just makes you grieve because they see their loved one as only as a resource to leverage and themselves up higher than they once were. Jesus says, when you give up all these things for my sake, it will be returned to you way more than what we're able to have here and now. He says in verse 30, and the first will be last, and the last first. See, in the world, we're always looking on how we can level up go from this stage to the next stage. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with the pursuit of trying to in, increase your wealth. There's nothing evil about that. If it becomes evil, if that's your one desire. The world looks at Christians even and says, man, you, you guys are giving up so much and some of you get your statements on your quarterly giving statements and go, man, I'm, I've sacrificed all this money that I could have bought, this, 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 and this. Lord says you will have your inheritance. You will have it. But in this, the way that Jesus is leading us is to be generous. It's why maybe maybe for today you you need to come to a place that you, you're declaring, all that I have is yours. Like, you've never thought about looking at your checkbook or looking at your things and saying, all that I have is yours. I think about the mom with our students who said, my goal every Wednesday is just to fill up my vehicle. I can fit eight people. I'm trying to fill it up and bring those kids to church. It's this, all that I have is yours. It's amazing what happens when you give. I think about this last week. I know you may never see the West Campus. You may not even know that we have a campus, the original campus of which Rock Hill used to stand. But last Wednesday night, there was a young man who who really had hit a crossroads in his life. He had done something that he regrets having done, and by God's grace... He realized in that moment, I don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I talk to somebody about that? And because of your courageous generosity, even though you've never been to that campus, even though you didn't even know, probably didn't know we had a student ministry, they were able to lead him to an understanding of what it means to be saved by God's grace. Isn't that awesome? Because of your stewardship and your generosity, just this last Thursday, and we're we're seeing them baptized this at the eleven o'clock service. A Bible study takes place. The gospel is presented, and people are responding to it. You have no idea the Bible study happened on Thursday nights. It happens. People are hungry to hear the truth of the gospel, and you played a part in that. When you give, that's the kind of things that are happening. There's so many more little stories I could share with you today, but I'm just wanting you to understand that when a church, what, what would happen if our church, spirit-filled of men, spirit-filled women, who just said, all that I have is yours, Lord. Do, do with it what you will. We'd never, as a church and a community, we may never know what that's like but I hope we would. Some of you hear this today and you go, man, I, I wanna give big. I wanna. So maybe you need to dream big, but you also need to start small. And our intentions, some of us are caught in a place where you've got student debt and you've got kids that need, somehow they grow out of their clothes, it's weird. That fit yesterday and now it's, you're waiting for a flood. What happened? And you got all these things coming at you, all these extracurricular. and I get it. But I would just say to you, You need to dream big of how you want to give, but you also need to just start small. Just begin now. What can I cut out? What can I reduce? What can I stop doing so that I can give to the Lord? Because I know what happens in my heart for me. If I don't purpose the monies that God has given me before I ever receive them, I will just keep them. If I don't purpose... That's called being a steward. If I don't purpose the monies before I ever get them, when I get them, I'll just keep them. Why? I naturally am a selfish person. And so are you. Because I can feel the, con- man, our pastor's selfish. Yeah, so are you. It takes one and no one. <laughs> but when I've purposed, Lord, what? This is not mine. That works in the financial realm. It also works with your family. Lord, my, my kids, they're not, they're not mine. You, you have entrusted me to steward them. And Lord, I'm, I'm after their hearts, just like you're after their heart. And when we do that, you know what happens? It, it'll be so easy to make a mountain over a, a, a molehill with our kids. You've got to play the long game with them. It happens at work, it'll it'll work out in church, it works out with your heart. Lord, all of this is yours. So in all of this, you've got to remember the grace of God and his mercy. Because you might want to beat yourself up, but today you need to know, friend, that the Lord is kind. He's been kind to us through this whole journey through this portion of Matthew Hard, difficult words, but yet Jesus is pursuing, even the disciples in this moment, pursuing their hearts. Remember his great mercy. Because you will make mistakes when it comes to finances and with your kids and at work. You're going to make mistakes. But in that, if you just say, Lord, I help me to learn so that I can purpose what I have for your glory. And to be amazed at what God will do in the life of our church but more importantly, in your life. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the chance to open your word. Lord, we know that these are hard words, but Lord, we can trust you with them. You've been kind to us already today. Lord, we're asking that as we now respond to you in song, that Father, our hearts would say, Lord, all of this is yours. I'm declaring that all that I have is yours. Lord, lead us in that because the temptation is far too great to take what you have blessed us with and to just want to consume. So Lord, lead us. Convict us where we have gone astray. Lead us by the way of your spirit to obey. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this in Jesus' name.